wow, this hospital's like a maze. They ought to offer you a chunk of cheese once you find your way out. They told me you were on the third floor in the waiting room. I uh, sort of got lost. I turned around. I couldn't even find the elevators. So, how's my son? I've been better. Yeah. Your mother's up in Lisa's room. She asked me to come find you. She wanted me to try to get you to eat something. I couldn't even find the cafeteria in this place. I did happen to uh, find a vending machine, though. There's one on the fifth floor, past the nurse's stage. There's another one on the ninth. You get to know your way around here after a couple weeks. So, did you uh, talk to the neurologist? Yeah. What'd he say? You know, she opened her eyes for a couple minutes yesterday and looked at me. At least, I don't know. I think she was looking at me. Son. Your mother and I will take care of the girls again tonight. You guys don't have to do that. No, really. We want to. It's grandparents' prerogative. More importantly, son, have you been home today? Yeah, I was home for about an hour this morning. I figured I'd better get some groceries since Lisa's going to be here for a while. Dad, I don't even know where she keeps the checkbook. just been walking these halls, you know? I've just been walking these halls and praying and praying. And I don't know. They just feel like words. Just empty words. And just yesterday, I finally had this, this 
breakdown. The nurses must have thought I was crazy because I, I just kept walking these halls and bawling my eyes out. And I said, Lord, I need you to be more real to me than you are right now. Because I've got this head full of Bible stories and sermon illustrations. And I don't need a sermon illustration. I need a miracle. I need my wife back. And do you know what God said? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I went back up to to Lisa's room and turned on the TV. It It was the learning channel. It was a special on animal testing and all these horrible tests they do on dogs. See, they would, they would take this wolf and then they would take a domesticated dog of equal strength and they'd put them both in a tank of water just to see which one would swim the longest before it drowned. What? That's terrible. Yeah. And do you know which one always lasted the longest? The wolf? Why? Because it knows how to take care of itself? Nope. The dog outlasted the wolf every time. Why is that? Because the wolf knows how to take care of itself. See, a wild animal, once it hits a truly hopeless situation, will just give up. See, once, once he saw that he could never truly get himself out of the tank, he would just let himself drown. But a dog... A dog will swim just as long as he can. He will swim till his muscles are burning and his legs are trembling. Because, see, he believes if he can just hang in there long enough, sooner or later, his master will come pull him out. Dad, I'm just trying to keep swimming. I want to talk to you about something real specific this morning in our series about faith. I remember uh, years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago, I was out hunting pheasant north of here, 40, 50 miles, I guess, and, and it was 
January, and we'd had a pretty, pretty heavy snow. And coming from Texas, I'm, I'm not all that accustomed to snow and especially hunting in the snow. And there were about four or five of us guys from the church, and, and I remember I had, I had reached a, a, a barbed wire fence. And you know how it is. You know, you put your gun up against the fence, take a few steps away, hold the fence down, crawl over the fence. And I was getting ready to do that, and, and I was holding the, the fence down and swung my leg over. And just as it did, with all my weight on that one foot on a snowpack, it gave way. And my, my leg came down, and it just kind of sliced the inside of my leg open. And it, it really hurt, I have to tell you. I'd like to tell you that I'm a real brave guy, but, but pain sort of pain's hard on me. And, but the thing I was worried about the most was infection. Because, you know, <laughs> barbed wire fence had been there probably since the Middle Ages, knowing how things are in Kansas. And, and I, I thought, you know, I, I'm just going to really get sick here. And so we, we, we went to eat at this little town. I don't even remember the name of the town. There were probably, it was one of those towns where, you know, when somebody leaves, they have to go to the city limit sign, draw a line through it. And, you know, they did have 60, now they have 59. And it's just like this little tiny cafe. And then it was kind of a combination cafe and, and grocery store. So I went over there to the medical section to see what they had that might take care of me. And, and all I could find was this, you know, bottle of rubbing alcohol. And they, they gave me that, and, and, and they put it in this little sack that was, you know, brown paper sack that was about this tall, and the, the bottle neck was coming out of it. And, and um, I was with some real spiritual guys from our church. And they said how they were going to tell everybody they saw me walking into a into a restaurant with a brown paper bag and a bottle of alcohol inside and so uh, I was thinking though I wish I had something like Bactine now Bactine uh, is the same age I am it's not, started in 1956 as when the, when the product was, was released and the Bayer company releases it now um, and Bactine for a long time had for its slogan it stops the hurt it helps the hurt stop hurting and it, it, it does two things. There's, a, there's a, a, a medicine in there that actually helps the pain stop. And, you know, when you cut yourself or you hurt yourself like I did when I was crawling over the fence, your, your body sends signals to the brain that it's hurting. And one of the things that a medication like Bactine does is it blocks those signals. And it says, hey, Mark's got things to do today, and you're sending messages that you're hurt, but I'm just going to stop you, and you can't keep sending that message. And the second thing that it does, this is what I was also concerned about, is it keeps infection from, from happening. And I would have liked to have had a bottle of Bactine, but I didn't. What I want to talk to you about today is, is faith and how that faith, like the slogan of Bactine, really does help the hurt stop hurting. Now, one thing I want to point out is Bactine doesn't say, if you think about the parsing of their slogan, Bactine doesn't say that it, it makes the hurt stop hurting. It says it helps the hurt stop hurting. And I want to draw that distinction today. Because what I want to talk to you about is that in life sometimes, there are hurts that, that don't go away. They don't get fixed in this world. You know, we, we all like to think about faith. Because faith tells us a story of how that God meets us at our point of need and hurt. And he comes in and fixes our world. And there are a lot of stories like that. 
And, and I've been sharing some of them with you. We all like those. I was sick, but it got well. I lost my job, but I got a better one. You know, I couldn't find the right person. And then God just brought the right person in my life. I trusted God and God supplied. We love those kinds of stories. And absolutely, I don't want to take anything away from that. If you're going through tough times today and you say, Mark, I, I really believe that God is going to help me with my issue. Well, wonderful, because God, God does many times. But I just want to be candid with you is that there are going to be some things that are going to happen in your life that won't get fixed in this world. And when they don't get fixed, how you, how you live the rest of your life is so important. I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Hebrews 11 is considered by Bible students to be the faith chapter of the Bible. It, it just, all it does is it just kind of like tells us about people who lived a long time before us who had it. They had faith in their lives and how that God worked. And it's almost like going through a gallery or a museum or a Hall of Fame. I speak in Canton, Ohio from time to time, and that's where the fo Pro Football Hall of Fame is. And for any of you who've ever been to uh, Canton for the Football Hall of Fame, or if you've been to the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know what it's like. You just kind of like walk up and down the aisles, and there are the bust and the stories of these, you know, these great football players who lived before. Well, that's what you have in Hebrews chapter 11, and you get the stories of people. I mean, if you just kind of run your finger through the chapter with me, you know, you read about, you know, people like Abraham. God said, I just want you to go, and I'm going to, when, when you get there, when you get to this land, I'm going to give it to you. And Sarah, you know, she wanted to have a baby and couldn't have a baby, and well, voila, they had faith in God. They had to wait for a while, but sure enough, Abraham got to the land, and Sarah had the baby, and you just go down through the list, and you see Isaac there, and he believed God, and God kept his word to him, and Isaac's situation got resolved, and there's Moses, and God said, hey, I want you to leave all the good stuff in Egypt here. You're living like a prince, but I want you to leave my people out of here. And what happened? Man, God opened the Red Sea and gave him manna from heaven and just did all this stuff in his life. And you just keep right on going through there. You know, there's all these people. David, you know, he had faith in God, and God helped him defeat Goliath. But you get to a strange part of Hebrews chapter 11, around verse 35. Because after the Bible tells about how all these people had faith and then God helped them, you get to the word but. I want you to look at it. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. And others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us. I just want you to think about that for a few moments. Because I just believe in all of our lives, there are going to be some things that no matter how much faith we have in God and how much we trust God, they're not going to be fixed in this world. And how you deal with that situation is going to make so much difference with the rest of your life. I mean, you know, if you lose your job, you can get another job. But if you go through a divorce and your ex remarries, that's not going to get fixed. If you have a, a, a family member who dies, 
that's not going to get fixed in this world. There are just some things in this life that are closed doors. And once you go through them, you know that they're not going to get fixed. So what happens at that point? Do we get mad at God and say, well, God, I had faith and I asked you to help save my marriage and you didn't save my marriage. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to be married to that guy. I wanted to be married to that woman. I, I wanted my kids to have a nuclear family. And, and, and God, you didn't come through. And so now I'm not going to have faith anymore in you. Or you ask God to heal your mother or your dad or your wife or husband or one of your children. And then God doesn't choose to do it in this world. What do you do with that? I thought about a couple stories in my life. I grew up, you know, in Fort Worth. My dad was pastor of a church there. And I remember real well, we had a, a guy came to our church. And he came just as his wife passed. She'd been ill for quite a while. And he, he, what brought him into our church was that his wife had passed. And he was, you know, they had been listening to our church on the radio. And they came in. And, and I remember him telling us about how, how deeply he hurt because his wife died. And he told us all kinds of stories about it. And, it, and it, at first it was, it was you know, you, you listened to him because this man was hurting very bad. But I noticed that, you know, and again, I was probably 15 or 16 at the time. I remember how that he just used to show up at our house. He didn't call or anything. He'd just, there would be his car. And he'd walk in. He'd sit down. And dad and mom always grace. They'd greet him. And he would sit down. And he'd begin to talk to us. And I mean, within seconds almost, he would go right back to talking about his wife and how she had died. And he told that story over and over and over again. He never had another story. And I was sympathetic, especially for about the first five years. But I'm telling you, 15, 18 years later, he was still coming over to mom and dad's house, telling the stories over and over and over again. What happened when his wife died was his life just stopped. And I, we would all agree that that was a horrible thing to have happen. And we were all sympathetic with him and still are looking back. But... When, 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 when something doesn't get fixed in this life, does that mean that you have to just shut all the machinery down and say, okay, you know, the watch broke right there and my, wife, my life stopped because my wife died or my husband died or my marriage broke up? Is that how God wants you to live? I thought about another situation where someone endured a really, really brutal tragedy. And that person, if you'll just give me a, a few moments and a little latitude to talk about a personal relationship, that person was my grandmother. You've heard me talk about her when Anita's here, my cousin. You've heard Anita talk about my grandmother. She was a, an unusual lady, a lady filled with grace. Not a, not a minister or never went to college or whatever, but she just had such an incredible impact on her family. She, she had nine kids. My, dad, my dad's the oldest of those nine. And I remember back in June of 1977, I remember being awakened to some really horrible news. My dad's youngest brother who lived in the same community where we lived. My dad's youngest brother had been brutally stabbed to death. Someone had broken into his home and killed him. And to this day, I can just remember the shock of hearing that news. And my grandmother lived about 180 miles south of Fort Worth where I was, and so we were all going down for the funeral. And I remember real, real clearly thinking about how devastated my grandmother would be because she was such a loving person. Family was everything to my, to my grandmother. And not, you know, not, not just to lose a child, but to lose a child in such a brutal fashion. I should also tell you that that murder happened on a Saturday morning. The following Saturday, Mary Alice and I were to be married. 
And driving down there, you know, I just, I kept thinking, what's grandma going to be like? I, I thought, you know, we've got to find some way to console her. When I got to the funeral home, I was so amazed because, indeed, there was a huge crowd there in the receiving area and outside. But the person who opened the door to greet me, to invite me in, was my grandmother. And she put her arms around me. I'll never forget what she said. She said, oh, Mark, I'm so sorry this happened the week before your wedding. And did she grieve? Yeah, she wasn't in denial. We watched her as she grieved. And it was hard. And I told her, I said, Grandma, listen, I know what you're going through. You don't need to be at my wedding next week. You know, just take some time off. And Grandma said, I wouldn't think about it. And the following Saturday, you know, there she was, the matriarch of this large family, ministering to everybody and joyful and rejoicing in our wedding as though she hadn't gone through the tragedy of a lifetime seven days before. And I looked at those two situations as I prepared to bring this message to you, and I thought, what makes the difference? What, cripple, what is it that just cripples an individual and their life stops, their watch breaks whenever the bad thing happens? And what, what, what allows this other person who could go through something so brutal that we can't even imagine it and still be focused on life? I can tell you in one word, what makes all the difference when you find yourself in one of those situations that isn't going to resolve in this life? What makes all the difference is faith. Because faith is focused on the future. The Bible has already told us. We've already covered a text that says we don't walk by sight or we don't live by what we can see. Sight is the present. Sight, hindsight is the past. Faith takes a look at the future. And here's what faith says. Faith says, I, I'm hurting. And I, this door is never going to be opened again. And it's just not going to be fixed in this life. But I know God is with me. He is working all things for my good. And I, was, I wasn't designed to live for this life. I was designed to live for the life to come. You know... I'm talking to some of you today, and you're saying, well, Mark, I, I really feel bad for those people that you talked about because they had things that just didn't get resolved. They had issues that didn't get resolved in this life. Let me tell you, if you live long enough, you're going to have those too, Amen. and maybe many of them. So let's talk about that for a few moments. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to think about the idea that faith is like Bactine. It doesn't necessarily stop the hurt from hurting, but it helps. It helps the hurt stop hurting. Now think about that for just a moment. How does faith stop life's hurt from hurting? Because I'll tell you what, if you've been through a divorce or the death of a loved one or a loss of a career or a career that just dried up and went away, if, if you've gone through a friend who turned on you and you've gone through that and you say, well, Mark... Uh, I, I don't know how to, how to deal with all that. If you've gone through that, you, will, you can know right now that the one thing that will help you is God letting you know that he is with you. Because one of the worst things that I have to deal with when I go through pain of something that I know this is going to be fixed is the idea of being alone, alone, that I'm all by myself. And God comes along at that moment and he just lets us know that he's there. That is worth so much, isn't it? Just for God to say, Mark, it's all right, or whatever your name is, it's all right. I'm here. It's like a little girl who was 
talking to her mom and said she, you know, she was playing with a friend and she fell down and cut herself real bad and she was sitting on the curb crying and her mother said, what did you do? She said, I just sat there and helped her cry. And sometimes you need that. I mean, you need to know that there's somebody who cares about what's broken in your life that isn't going to be fixed. And it's so good to know that God grieves with us. When Lazarus died and Jesus came to the tomb, the Bible says Jesus wept. And many people question why Jesus wept. I think he wept because people he loved were hurting. It's as simple as that. When you go through hard times, it touches him. We used to sing a song when I was a kid in church that said, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too, too deeply for, for laughing or song? And the chorus said, Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. So that's the first thing I want to say to you. That, that, it doesn't make the hurt go away, but it just helps to know that God cares about what we're going through and his heart is touched by what we're dealing with. Something else that helps the hurt go away is knowing that God is like working all my circumstances. You know, you can take 100 pounds of steel and throw it into the ocean, and it'll sink. But a master shipbuilder with his great ingenuity and her skill can build a ship where tons of steel will float in the water and is almost unsinkable. And the things that happen in your life, the single instances of problems in your life, it's like if you throw them into the ocean of life and try to make sense of it all, it'll sink. But when God comes along, the master shipbuilder, and he begins to work with all the issues of your life, what you'll discover is that God will cause it to float. I can look back now on some things that I thought were some of the worst days of my life. And even at this stage of my life, I can reflect and see how that God was working circumstances. And some of the things that I thought were bad were actually good. But I'll tell you this, what really helps the hurt go away is knowing that God is building a world for us where everything will be fixed. You know, don't we hold on to youth? I mean, all of us old-timers. We color our hair, you know. We work out. We try to look younger. It's like, oh, man, I see this world ending for me. I mean, my life is, you know, and we've got to hold on to it. And, and it, by the way, I'm for all that stuff. I mean, I think that's great. Man, if you can look 20 when you're 90, I'm, we'll just call you Dorian Gray. I mean, that's, that's great. No problem. You realize you're going to live forever, don't you? Amen. You know, we get to heaven, we're just going to, we're going to say, wow. I remember Walt Reason. Walt was my doctor, and he's with the Lord now, and Linda's here. He, Walt was not just someone who attended here, but he was a dear, dear friend. And I remember about 15 years ago, you know, there's always some rage you know, running through all the press about something that extends life. And I remember, remember when it was oat bran? You know, if you eat oat bran, it's just like make you live forever. <laughs> I was getting, I think I was in one of the Heaven series and Walt was telling me a story. He said, a couple of guys got to heaven and they were walking around. It was just so awesome. They were looking around and everything was so fantastic. One of them said, you know, if we hadn't eaten all this oat bran, we could have been here years ago. <laughs> I thought about Walt today. You know what? If everything's got to be fixed for you in this world, you're going to be a very unhappy person. And you're going to be a Christian that loses confidence in God. 
Because you have to understand, this is a broken world. You're just running, you're just running the table. You're living this life to bring glory to God and to, to accomplish things for the kingdom. But the life you were made for is the life to come. And, and the thing that I find so interesting about the text that we just read, and I hope right now for all of you who've like really struggled to wonder why God didn't fix something that's broken in your life, if I could have your attention, and, and I, know you're, I know you're listening today, but if, you, if I could just have all your attention to one comment, this is the one that I want to give to you. Because this is something that I don't think preachers preach very often. There is a principle of God that if God does not resolve your issue in this life, he will resolve it much better in the life to come. See, that's the thing that we don't think about. If, if you have to have faith in God, and God says, okay, now here's the deal. I'm not going to resolve this for you in this life. I want you to trust me and wait till life to come. The way he'll fix it for you will be so much more awesome because you had to wait. Amen. Do you remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Thomas, you've seen. Remember Thomas said, I'm not going to believe if I can't see the nail prints. And Jesus showed him the nail prints. And he said, Thomas, you've seen and blessed are you because you've seen. But he said, mega blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. When you keep having confidence in God and God doesn't resolve your situation in this life, God's just going to go off the charts fixing it for you in heaven. I mean, you know, I know some of you here today, you were carrying a baby and maybe a baby died before he or she was born. And you, you think about what he or she could have been and how you'd have liked to have been there. God's going to fix all that when you go to heaven. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'll tell you what, it'll be even better than it would have been in this life. Because this is the principle. We're reading in, in Hebrews 11 about some people who actually had a choice. They could have said, well, okay, I'll, I'll do something that's, that God will fix in this life. But these are people that said, no, I don't think so. I think I'll wait. I think I'll just stay firm in my faith and let God fix it in the life to come. Because what God fixes in the life to come is so much better than he fixes in this life. Just think about that. It helps the hurt stop hurting. To know that God is with me. And he's making all things work out for good, and that the real life is the life to come. But Bactine does something else. Not only does it have those, you know, blockers that keep the signals from coming to our brain that says we're hurting, Bactine also has an antiseptic which keeps infection from setting in. You know, many times people have been hurt much more by a subsequent infection than they were from the actual wound itself. I mean, in times past, before we had the medications that we have today, there were people who had simple wounds and died because dirt got into the wound and infection set in. You know, I've watched this in my own life as a minister and also as, even as just a follower of God. I've watched people get wounded in life. And I've watched dirt get into that wound. A doubt that maybe God doesn't really love me, or that God doesn't answer prayer. Or I tried living for God and see what that got me. Now I'm going to check out and I'm going to live for, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to sleep around. I'm going to drink and I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to. I tried walking like a Christian and it just didn't work. And boy, it, and I got wounded. And so now all this dirt gets in or, or maybe it's just like, you know, I went to church. And I, I listen to the messages and stuff, and I worship. But then, boy, I, it, it didn't work out well for me, so I'm just going to get out and 
live for me. And whenever that happens in your life or my life, what the infection is a lot worse than the wound. When I think about infection here, I'm thinking about things like bitterness and resentment. Why do people get bitter when something doesn't get fixed in this life? I, I, I've talked to many people. Let me, let me give you an example. Here's a guy, and he marries a, a woman, and maybe he finds out that she's deceptive or, or just not a person he can live with. And he lives with her for 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. And one day he just says, I'm out of here. This isn't going to get fixed in this life. What causes that infection to set in? I'll tell you what it is. He is saying to himself, this is ruining my life. Or maybe we have some sort of physical ailment, and we ask God to take it away, and we can see clearly it's going to be a lifelong ailment. And we say, man, this is ruining my life. What hap- what, what's wrong about that picture is, it's just like I talked about a few moments ago. We're, we're living as though this life is all there is. And so if something pulls 10 years out of our life or 20 years out of our life, or even more than that, we say, this is just screwing up my life. This is ruining my life. But do you realize that the very worst possible thing that could ever happen to you, whatever it is, the most it can ever do is mess up? the 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years that you live down here. It can't touch the eternity that God has designed you for. I mean, think about that. That's the reason why nobody should get bitter. I mean, yeah, a lot of stuff happens in our life that's ugly and things get broken that won't be fixed in this life, but at the end of the day, it's just the waiting room. It'd be like going to Disney World getting on that monorail that goes to the park. I mean, suppose you got on the monorail and, and you know, you get packed in real tight there. You ever, I mean, I don't, let's just be real honest. You ever get into a really packed tight situation and somebody's got really offensive body odor? <laughs> wow, knocks you over. So let's say you're taking the family to Disney World or your wife or your husband and kids or whatever, or you're just going to Disney World, and you get on the monorail and somebody's just got really offensive body odor. And it's all you can do to breathe. And you're just saying, oh, dear Lord, let this ride be over quickly. And you just start getting upset. And someone's saying, well, what are you getting upset about? You said, this is just ruining Disney World for me. And you, your friend or whoever's with you say, are you kidding You're not even in the park yet. This is just the monorail. When you and I get bitter about things that we think are ruining our life, just remember it's just the monorail. We're not in the park yet. I mean, the best is yet to come. I mean, it helps the hurt stop hurting, and it keeps infection from coming into our lives. Can I just ask you today, if you're going through something that's just really rocking your world in a bad way, to just keep your eyes on God and keep looking forward? My mother and dad had a really hard situation. They were in the late 20s, and dad was pastoring. It was not an easy church to pastor. The unofficial name for that community was called Ignorant Hill, and those people lived up to it in some cases. He was going through some tough things in the church, and this was before, my, before I was born. 
I had a brother who was four years old, Roger, and Roger got cancer, brain cancer. And they prayed, of course, like any parents would pray that God would heal Roger, but Roger died, and it was really hard. It was a hard death, and you can imagine, I, had, I don't have any idea. I th- talked to mom and dad about it many times, but I have no idea what it would be like to, to lose a child to cancer four years old. And they say he was just angelic. He wasn't precocious like me. I've heard that. <laughs> But mom, mom has told me this ever since I was a little boy. She said it was during that era of her life that she got really interested in prophecy about Jesus coming back. And she would get up every morning and say, maybe Jesus will come back today. And she would go to sleep at night and say, maybe he'll come back tonight. And then get up the next morning and say, maybe today. Maybe tonight. And that's... That's been close to 55 years. And you know what? She still loves prophecy and says, maybe today, maybe tonight. That's how a Christian lives life. That's the reason why the Bible said we we live by faith. We're on the monorail. The big world's to come. There's a guy named Horatio Stafford. Aren't you glad we live where people don't, in an era where people don't name their kids Horatio? <laughs> this happened about 150 years ago. Horatio Stafford is a real rich guy and made a lot of money, good man, follower of Jesus. But he got wiped out in the 1871 Chicago fire. If you studied history, you know there's this fire that ravaged the city and burned almost everything up. He lost everything. But you know, if you lose your money... It's not like that can't be fixed. It was what happened next that hit him so hard. His wife and his daughters were sailing to England, and a ship went down. And all of his daughters were killed. His wife was rescued, and she sent back probably one of the most poignant telegrams in all history, saved alone. So after losing all his wealth and losing his daughters, he himself was making a ship journey, and they got, he, was, he was following the same course as the ship where his wife and daughters sank and his daughters drowned. And he asked if he could be taken to the spot where the ship went down. Now that's the kind of thing that would be too painful for me, but that's what he wanted. And when he got to the spot, he wrote down some words. And those words became a song that everybody has covered from robed choirs all the way to audio adrenaline. His words said this, When peace like a river attends my way, and when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And my favorite verse And Lord, hurry the day when my faith will be sight. The clouds roll back like a scroll. The trumpet shall sound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it's well with my soul. 
If he had a modern name and he lived when you and I live, he might have wrote those words just a little differently. He might have updated them a little bit. They might have sounded like this. It's okay with me. That's what he was saying. God, it's okay with me. It's all right. My eyes are on you. And I trust you. It doesn't make the hurt go away. But it helps the hurt stop hurting.